Our Old Testament passage today picks up in Job chapter one. <laughs> you say, Pastor, I feel like I've been living in Job for over 17 or 18 months now. No. God is good and his mercy endures forever, beloved. Job 1, beginning with verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. Blameless and upright, who feared God and turned away from evil. So this is, this is a good man. He's blameless. He's upright. He fears or respects God, and he turns away from evil. And there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Did you hear that? This is a great man. This is a rich man. Of all the men of the East, he was the greatest. So I want you to notice that a powerful man can respect God, be blameless, upright, and turn away from evil. See, we always think that if somebody is rich, they must be corrupt. Have you ever noticed that? See, that's that Christian cynicism coming in again, all right? We always think that if somebody is rich, they must be corrupt. No, sometimes they're blameless, upright, respect God, and have turned away from evil, and God has blessed the work of their hands. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when one of the days of the feast had run its course, Job would send and consecrate them. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and, got, and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. All right. So here is a concerned father. He said, you know what? My kids don't have the same heart for God that I have. So I'm going to keep bringing offerings before the Lord. I'm going to keep praying to God for my children. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. So Satan had access to the throne, to the throne room. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. So, all right, so Satan lives on earth. The doctrine of Satan living in hell, you don't find that in scripture. Satan lives on earth. Remember, his throne was in Pergamum in the book of Revelation. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. This is God's testimony of Job. This is how God looks at Job. Um, God, is, God is pointing out Satan's failure. <laughs> you know, you may have brought a lot of other people into sin, but look at Job. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God? Does he 
respect God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. All right, so notice what God did. Have you, God did this. God did these. Number one, God put a hedge around him of protection. His house, all he has on every side. God put a hedge around him. Number two, God has blessed all the work of his hands. Number three, his possessions have increased in the land. Now, this is what God did for Job. Now, can I ask you a question? Will God do for Job what he will not do for you? Now, sometimes you, when you read the Bible, you've got to understand and remember God has no favorites. God has no favorites. You look at the life that Job lived, and Satan says, does he respect you for no reason? Look at what you've done for him. You put a hedge of protection around him, his house, and all he has. You're not letting anything destroy his possessions. No storm, nothing that I do is allowed to touch anything he has. Because God, you put a hedge of protection around him. You've blessed the work of his hands. And his possessions have increased on the land. So I want you to notice that Satan knew his limits. He knew that God had done this and there was nothing he could do about it. He said, God, stretch out your hand and touch all he has and he will curse you to your face. All right, so, so Satan says, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand only Against him, do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of God. Now notice, all he has. So there are limits on what Satan can touch. Satan can only touch the possessions, okay? Limits to possession only. Limited to possessions only. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job saying, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down all the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. All right, so Satan uses people to do his work. This is the work of Satan, but he uses people. While he was yet speaking, there came another saying, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. All right. Satan falsely misleads to blame God. Satan always wants to blame God for his ugliness. Have you ever noticed? He, he never wants to take accountability and responsibility for the horrible things he's done. You find that in his servants also. While he was yet speaking, there came another. The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. All right, so again, Satan uses people. And while he was still speaking, there came another. Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. 
And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Satan uses weather. Satan uses weather? Yeah, Satan uses weather. You know, forgive me, I I do believe that we should take care of the environment. Please do not think that I'm one of these anti-climate people. I'm not. I, I believe that we should be good stewards with the environment God has given us. But at the same time, I recognize that a lot of the stuff that people call climate change is just the devil. I mean, please, a great wind. Satan was using a great wind. Then Job arose, tore his clothes, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and he worshipped. Now here's my question. Can you worship when everything you have is destroyed by Satan? Can you worship when everything you have is destroyed by Satan? Yes, if you know it was not God. Now, beloved, this is why you've got to always understand God good, Satan bad. If everything we had today is gone tomorrow, can we still bow before the Father and worship? Yes. This is why we can be content in every situation, as I've been teaching you so much about lately because we know that the provider is with us. And if he gave it to us once, he could give it to us again. Beloved, you you can't look around and think that God is the one destroying what you have. Otherwise, forgive me, you're cutting yourself off from the one who will provide. You have to recognize every good and perfect gift cometh from the Father. Every ugly, nasty, destructive thing comes from the devil only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So Job, when he heard all of this, he knew this wasn't God. He knew this wasn't God. So he fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Now notice, he had a wrong idea, but he didn't charge God. He had some wrong theology, but he didn't charge God. See, oftentimes in the hard times, we sound real spiritual, but we're just not very biblical. Job sounds very spiritual. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But he never charged God with wrong. Now, beloved, sometimes when everything disappears in life, you've got to make up your mind. I really don't know what has happened and I really don't understand what has happened. But God is good and his mercy endures forever. Chapter two now, beginning with verse one. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came along with them to present himself before the Lord. Again, same truth. Satan has access to the throne room. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord, 
from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. So, okay, Satan lives on earth. Now, at some place, Satan is living today. I don't know where it is, but Satan has a throne. Satan always has a throne. He's got some city where he has built his throne in the earth today, and I don't know where that is. I sometimes wonder if we knew how much it would surprise us. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man. None like him on the earth, who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Now notice, incited me. Satan did the work, but Satan incited God. He tried to push God to do something. Then Satan answered the Lord, skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. Well, stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand, only spare his life. So limits sent, limits set, Satan's work. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job. Now notice, Satan did this and struck Job with a loathsome sword. Satan didn't use a person now. This is Satan's personal work. Satan struck Job with a loathsome sword from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Now notice, Satan's work. He brought sickness. He brought sickness against Job. This was Satan's work. The bacteria that brings all of those boils and stuff, Satan brought that. He struck Job with these things. Now, now sometimes you think, who is the author of sickness? Satan, not God. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself as he sat in ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Now he's wrong, but not sin. Job doesn't understand what's going on. I mean, please, sometimes we act like Job knew everything that was going on. Job didn't understand what was going on. We don't even know if Job knew that there was such a thing as a real devil. Okay, we, we have no idea. So Job is wrong, but he does not sin. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, when Job's three friends heard all this evil that had come upon him, now notice what came upon him. This is evil the destruction of his wealth, the destruction of his children, the destruction of his physical body. That's, this is evil defined. The destruction of wealth and property and life and health, this is called evil. The destruction of wealth, family, 
and health is called evil. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Naamite, they made an appointment together to come show some sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him at a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept and tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward the heaven. And they sat on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him. But they saw his suffering was great now. If you've ever had boils, you know that boils really hurt. And boils from the top of your head to the sole of your feet, I cannot imagine. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Job said, he didn't curse God. He said, let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that said a man is conceived, let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come to the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those who curse it, who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan, let the stars of its dawn be dark and let it be hope for light but have none, nor let the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth, come out of the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me, and why did the breasts that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept, and then I would have been at rest with the kings and counselors of the earth, who rebuilt ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Why was I not like as a stillborn child, as an infant who never see light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together, and they hear not the voice of the taskmaster. The small and great are there, the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter in soul? Who long for death, but it comes not? And dig for it more than for hidden treasures. Yeah. Now, now, this is something that you're going to have to understand. People in pain often desire death. Now, he did not commit suicide, but you just want the pain to stop. Who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Now, here's one of the biggest verses in the entire book of Job. Fear invites satanic attack. He had a hedge around him. Fear invites satanic attack. Remember, he feared his children's sin. He feared the loss of everything. Beloved, at some point, you can't be afraid. If you lose everything tomorrow, God will restore it twofold. Don't be afraid of loss. Don't be afraid of loss. Remember, 
the provider is with you. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Notice Paul's first statement. He says, pursue love. Now, now, love is not something that's going to come, just come to you. So let me just make that note. Love does not appear. It is pursued. If you want to walk in love, you have to pursue it. He said, and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, notice, that does not have a date. There's no date. There's no date. It does not say, until... It doesn't say that. There is no there is no secessionism theology taught here. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, the beautiful gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophecy, the gifts of healings, the working of miracles. Eagerly desire. This is something every believer should eagerly desire in their life. Now, I, I don't believe in the old Pentecostal thing where we just sit around and demonstrate the gifts in the services. Yes, the gifts will op operate in the services, but it's it's not like... Now I have a word of knowledge. No, now I have a word of wisdom. Now, I believe these gifts function not only in services, but especially in everyday life. And I don't believe that they're announced. I just believe God gives you a word of wisdom. God gives you a word of knowledge. All of a sudden, you just know what to do. All of a sudden, you just know something. All of a sudden, you have a prophetic word to speak to somebody. And you don't have to look at people and go, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, who itst and whatst and is to come. Okay, you don't have to put on King James English to prove that you're speaking for God. You just share a word in season with the people. So the gifts of the Spirit aren't spooky. We should earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, I prophesy a lot, but I don't stand up and say, now this is a prophecy. I just speak. And there's a difference in the words when a prophetic utterance is coming forth. There's a difference in how it touches people's hearts. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Now, I, I've watched preachers stand up on platforms and speak to each other in tongues back and forth and say their spirits are speaking to each other. But that's not what the Bible says here. We don't speak to men, but we speak to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So, tongues. Now, this is our prayer tongues. This is not the, the tongues and interpretation gifts. Prayer tongues are to God. This is prayer. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Now, so there's three purposes. Three purposes of New Testament prophecy. Upbuilding, building people up, encouragement, and consolation. I think um, another translation puts it edification, encouragement, and comfort. Now, that's the three purposes. It is never for guidance. Now, you have prophets in the Old Testament that speak clear directions to people. But under the new covenant, we each have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're all anointed. The anointing has come upon us all. So never should you 
believe anybody who walks up and says, thus saith the Lord, this is who you are to marry. Thus saith the Lord, this is what you are to do. You should never buy into that. No place in, in the New Testament is prophecy for direction or guidance. It's never for guidance. It's never for direction. Never. Okay? It's just not that. God guides us by his spirit. The sons and daughters of God are led by the spirit of God. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. All right? So our prayer language, effect of prayer tongues, builds himself up. But he who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. So, Paul said, listen, I want all of you to be praying in tongues. I want this, this beautiful prayer language to be in every one of your lives. I want you all to speak in tongues. Now, all means all. Now, again, there's no date on when that ends. So, every believer in the world should pray in tongues. <laughs> it is the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now this brings us to the fact that there are two types of tongues. There is the prayer language, and there is the gift. Now the gift always functions with, with an interpreter. One gift of the Spirit is tongues, the other gift of the Spirit is interpretation of tongues. These are companion gifts, and they go together. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? He said, just walking around praying in tongues doesn't benefit anybody. Just walking around even with the gift of tongues without an interpretation doesn't benefit anybody. If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or a harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. Okay, he said, hey, no one's going to get you if you're just standing up with one part of tongues and just praying in tongues all the time. Like when you go to church, if all you do is pray in tongues, or if all you do is, is operate in the gift of tongues without interpretation, he said, ah, talk into the air. There are no doubt many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner or to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. Now, most of us here in Manila, when we go to Cebu, Cebuano and Tagalog is close enough that we can, we can get things figured out. I mean, even if we don't speak Cebuano, if we listen carefully, we can pick up enough words that we can figure out the conversation. But have you ever noticed when you go to Lawag? I mean, when I go to Luwag, I feel like I did when I first came to Manila and I didn't understand a single word that is said. Sometimes when everybody's speaking Ilocano, I just... Now, please, if you're Ilocano, don't be insulted with me. I'm trying to make a point. When you don't understand what people are saying, you're a stranger to them. When they don't understand what you're saying, they're a stranger to you. So he said, now listen, you understand that with regular languages, the same thing is true with spiritual languages. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Okay, so eager, this comes back to earnestly desire, for the manifestations, this manifestations, the Greek word here means the making clear, or the um, 
the making clear or the revelation of. It's just the showing, okay? Making clear or showing. Strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, okay, because we want to build up the church, therefore, the one who speaks in tongue should pray for the power to interpret. This is why oftentimes you'll hear people give a tongue and they'll wait for a moment, let somebody else have an opportunity to operate in the gifts, and if they don't, the same person will bring the interpretation. Now, he said, you should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, here's the prayer language again. My mind is unfruitful. If I pray in a tongue, I have no idea what I just prayed for. So I will never know when God answers it. I will never be thankful. I will never be able to bless him for the answer to prayer. So what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, and I will pray with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, and I will sing with my mind. So prayer in both. Worship in both. Every day you should be praying in tongues. A season of your prayer life should be praying in tongues. And you shouldn't be ashamed of that. And every time you worship, a portion of that worship should be from the Holy Ghost. Just letting the Holy Ghost worship through you in a different language. Just singing in tongues. Now, praying in tongues, singing in tongues. Praying with the understanding, singing with the understanding. This is a balanced life of, of worship and prayer. Now, I, I've been around Christians that they never pray with the understanding. They only pray in tongues. They can pray in tongues for three hours. But if you listen to their regular prayer life, they're not comfortable in prayer. There are people that can sing for hours. All the choruses written by man. But when it begins to move into singing in the Holy Ghost, they're very uncomfortable. You shouldn't be uncomfortable in either one. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in a position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? It's okay. There should be a portion of every service where we sing in the spirit, yes. But for an outsider, how can they say amen? They should also hear you singing with the understanding. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. So there needs to be a balance in the services. Now, you know, I've got relatives that go around and teach people that, you know, uh, all the gifts of the Spirit, that's like running around your house naked singing songs. It's great at home, but, you know, you shouldn't be doing it in church. It looks weird. Well, I'm sorry. The gifts of the Spirit are not weird. They should be a part of all of God's people's life in church and out of church. The gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, these supernatural things are not weird. They are a part of our life. Now, there are people that have made them weird. I will grant you that, okay? But these are a part of our life and never something we should be ashamed of. In Jesus' name. All right. Let's go to Proverbs as we close out today. Proverbs chapter 10, beginning with verse 6. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Wow. Blessings, I like, look at NLT, the godly are showered with blessing, but the words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. You always got to watch out. Wicked people's words conceal things. They conceal their violent intentions. They, they want to destroy. They may dress it up spiritual. 
but they want to destroy. Wicked only destroy. They want to tear up. They want to tear down. But they conceal it with their words. The memory of the righteous is a blessing. (laughs) We have happy memories of the godly. But the name of the wicked will rot. You often hear me talk about, like last weekend, I talked about grandpa. All of my memories of grandpa and grandma are absolute wonderful memories. I mean, I can't think of a bad memory with grandma and grandpa. The memory of the righteous is a blessing. Happy memories. But have you ever noticed wicked people, their memory rots away? And notice the term will rot. In other words, one day it's gone. Have you ever noticed wicked people get forgotten? Hmm. The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will come to ruins. Look at NLT. The wise are glad to be instructed, but the babbling fools fall flat on their faces. In other words, they think they are so smart that they don't need to listen. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. You know, people can't bring you down. And integrity here means transparent. Okay? Whoever walks transparently in life walks securely. Nobody can pull you down. They, they can't bring up, the, you know, some hidden thing that you're trying to conceal in life because you've got nothing to hide. And so, you know, it's a beautiful way to live your life. But you know what? You're not perfect, but you've got nothing to hide. It's a beautiful way to live. And people, you know, they'll make up lies about you, just like they made up lies about Jesus, just like they made up lies about the Apostle Paul. But the beautiful thing is, you know what? You walk securely because you got nothing to hide. He who makes his way crooked will be found out. Ah. So sooner or later, the crooked are always discovered. Sometimes you just got to give it some time. They, they may be lying a lot about other people, but one day the truth will always come out. Whoever winks his eye causes trouble, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Now, notice twice here, a babbling fool. A babbling fool will come to ruin. A babbling fool will come to ruin. People are just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. They're just full of talk and talk and talk. They can't do anything, but they're just full of talking. Have you ever noticed how fools just talk a lot? You know, a wise man doesn't have as many words, but a fool, they just don't ever shut up, and they always come to ruin. Learn to be wise in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, we're going to see you tonight, 7 o'clock.